0: Hello, my name is Jonathan. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and a member at King's Cross Church. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. If you don't know me, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're here. If you're brand new um, or if we just don't have your information yet, we'd love if you filled out a connection card and either dropped it in the box there or maybe stopped by the welcome desk. we got a small gift to give you just to thank you for being with us this morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you want to take it out or turn it on, we'll be in Acts uh, chapter 1, that's where we're going to be, Acts chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I want to just celebrate a few things that God is doing in the life of our church. Um, as some of you know because you were there, but at our September covenant member meeting, we, uh, we welcomed 11 new people into covenant membership, and so we're excited about that. We also have, uh, I think, at least four that are scheduled for our member meeting next week, and so I hope that uh, if you're already a member, you plan to be there. We have had 11 baptisms since the fall launch, and we have um, another one, at least one, that I know of this month. Two weeks ago, our women's ministry had another edition of The Porch kind of kicking off the fall programming there. There were just short of 40 women who attended The Porch over at the Tappins house. Last weekend, we had 30 middle school and high school students and four adult leaders that went on the KCY fall retreat. Uh, so we're thankful of what Uh, the Lord is doing there. And then earlier this week, we had 70 men who came and um, ate some barbecue and fellowship together and dug into God's word together at our first ever men's ministry dinner. Uh, And so we are excited about that. And then as of this morning, last time I checked, our women's retreat, which doesn't happen until February, is already over 50% full. And so here's why I share that. Because we are growing in more ways than just Sunday morning. And God is at work. And there's a momentum happening that I I hope that you're a part of. I, I hope that you are in a small group, that you're participating in a serve team, that you're taking advantage. When you see, fellowship opportunities, you hear about stuff like Trunk or Treat or, you know, that, that you are leaning into those things. And look, if Sunday morning, if the entirety of your experience at King's Cross is Sunday morning, uh, praise God for that. We're glad that you're here. Yes and amen. I, I just want to nudge you a little bit to tell you that I think you're missing out on some of the best of what it is that's happening in the church right now. And so can we just take a moment and celebrate what God's done since the fall launch? Like, it's just, we don't we don't want to overlook those things. We've been in this series uh, all the way since January 1st, this overarching series as we're looking through the grand narrative of the Bible. The series is called The Story. We're starting a new chapter this morning called Chapter 9, The Church. So if you're brand new, it's a great time to, to jump in because we're, we're starting kind of a new movement in that. Uh, over the last several weeks, we have hit, like really just the highest mountaintops of Jesus' ministry. We've seen who he is. We've seen who he's called his followers to be. We've seen what he says it looks like when his followers are are following him in that way, and they're bearing fruit in their lives. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about why it was necessary for him to die. This week, as we um, turn the page and we enter into the book of Acts, if you were to read through it, Hopefully, it'll sound a little bit like what I just sounded like, because really, it's a celebration of what God was doing in the church. It's just page after page after chapter of, and God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and it's this testimony of lives being changed and things happening in the church. It opens like this in Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The first book is the book that we now refer to by the name of its author, Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician by training. He's something of a historian of the early church. He was a a Gentile. We think almost certainly a Greek. He was raised and lived in a city called Antioch where... Um, We think he he was a part of the early church there in Antioch. He met Paul and Barnabas. He went out on at least the first missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. They planted a church in a town called Philippi. You might have heard of Paul's letter to the Philippians. That's a, a town, Philippi. Luke kind of stayed behind there to supervise things, and it became something of an adopted second home for him. But by the time he is writing this historical account of the early church. He's in Rome with Paul during at least one, maybe multiple uh, terms of Paul's imprisonment there by the Roman government. So he addresses this letter to Theophilus, which literally translates lover of God. It's possible that Theophilus was a person, uh, maybe a patron that had sponsored Luke's historical writing uh, of these things and was paying for the expenses that went along with that. It's also possible that Luke was just using a generic term because he figured when you and I were going to read this book or the people that was circulating among the churches when it was originally written we were going to be people who loved God. But what he says is in the first book, Luke, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, which implies what? That in this book, the second book, Acts, he's going to talk about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. But there's a bit of a problem there if you know uh, something of the history of the Bible or you know if you're reading along in your devotional plan with the story and you were to keep reading in Acts, it says this, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so Luke says to Theophilus, to us, that whereas the Gospel of Luke recorded what Jesus began to do, the book of Acts records what Jesus continued to do after his ascension to the right hand of God the Father. And so what becomes clear then, if you're paying attention to what Luke is saying, is that as you move from the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and into the book of Acts, you find this biblical truth that Jesus gave his church a mission. Jesus is going to continue what he started. He's going to continue his mission through the church. Jesus gave the church a mission. The church at its core is missional. If or when the people of God cease to be missional, they're out of step with their purpose. They are out of step with the will of God the Father. This is why Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus is so confrontational with the religious establishment of his day, because they had lost the plot. They had stopped being missional, a missional movement of the people of God. A few weeks ago, when Pastor Josh um, preached the Sermon on the Mount, which we call the, the greatest sermon ever preached in Matthew five, right? You know that that sermon opens with the Beatitudes, but very early, immediately following that, Jesus says this in uh, Matthew five, beginning with verse thirteen: "You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet." You're the light of the world. City set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. If you grew up in church, you're already singing that in your head, right? (laughs) Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it, right? Some of you grew up in VBS. This is what Jesus is saying. What good is salt if it's not salty? What good's a light under a basket? What good's a church that's not on mission? There's nothing good about it. It's lost its purpose. It's useless. First time that word church is used in the Bible is in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of a city are defensive. Yes? You close the gates to keep the enemy out. And so when Jesus says the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church, the imagery that he's using is that this church that he's building is going to storm the gates of hell and win. Jesus gave the church a mission. There's an old metaphor that guys that do what I do for a living like to talk about, you know, the church isn't a cruise ship, the church is a battleship. I like the little tweak that Pastor J.D. Greer in his book, Gaining by Losing, puts on that. What he says is, well, actually, the church is more like an aircraft carrier. Because, yes, they engage in battle like a battleship, but they do it in a different way because aircraft carriers equip planes to take the battle elsewhere. You don't want to fight a battle on the deck of an aircraft carrier. You equip the planes to take the battle to the enemy somewhere else. He says, that's what the church is like. We send people out on mission. This is what the church does, and this is what happens in the opening chapters of Acts. Jesus gives his church a mission, he equips her for it, and then he launches her out in the world to engage in it. So get it together. Here's the first thing you're going to see. is that Jesus gave the church a mission to reach the world. That's what the mission was. Give the church a mission to reach the world. We'll pick it back up in verse 3 of Acts 1. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them, the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, and it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, almost certainly angels, and said, not almost, they're angels. <laughs> verse 11, and he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we'll back up one more time, Acts 1.8, the last words of Jesus before his ascension back into heaven. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He gave the church a mission to reach the world. And when he says Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, it, they're concentric geographic circles. This is what he. So it, you know, if we were to say in in Charleston and South Carolina and the U.S. and to the ends of the earth, this is the imagery that he is giving him the scope of the church's mission is the whole world. He gave them a mission to reach the whole world. This is why we aren't content just to see you grow in the gospel, though we want that. We we want you to know Christ. We want you to be committed to attending worship services and participating. We want you to be developing personal spiritual habits. Yes, and amen to that. But we don't just want you to be connected in community, though we want that. We want you to have vibrant relationships with people who are here. We want you to be connected into small groups and serving as opportunities come up. Yes, and amen to that. But we don't just want those things because we also want to equip you and encourage you and remind you that if you are a Christian, you have a call from the Lord Jesus to live on mission. It's why we talk to you so often about your spheres of influence. And and God's given them to you. We we talk to you, you know, about taking the gospel with you into the places that you live, learn, work, and play every day. So, like, that's not catchy creative leadership language. It's just biblical. It's what God said, it's what Jesus said to do. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like? I mean, being on mission. Is kind of insider language a little bit, right? I, you know, it's on the wall. What does it mean? I'm not really sure. Well, when in Matthew five, when, you know, it was living as salt and light, living like Jesus. Here in Acts one, it's being witnesses, telling people about Jesus. In the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28, he said, "Go and make disciples. Go and teach people what it means to follow Jesus." I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell them what it's like to follow Jesus. This is what it means to live on mission. And if you're not a Christian yet, you're off the hook. This doesn't apply to you yet. But if you're exploring faith, if you're considering the claims of Christianity, you're considering the teachings of Jesus, you should know that Jesus did not teach a private, personal spirituality. He preached a missional faith. He taught that a decision to follow him was, it necessarily included a decision to be an active part in the mission that he gave to his church to reach the world. The two go together, living like Jesus in obedience to his word and to the will of God the Father, telling others about Jesus. We call that evangelism teaching others how to follow Jesus. We call that discipleship. And so if you consider yourself a Christian and you would say, you know what, those things just aren't a part of my life. You know, in one way or another, to one degree or another, if the fruit of those things is not um, is nowhere to be found in your life, then as we saw a couple weeks ago in John 15, Jesus says you may need a spiritual checkup because you might not be saved. Because he said his people bear fruit. That's what they do. And so I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation, but I mean, this is just what he says. My people are missional people. This is what they do. The same is true for local churches. If you find a local church that isn't actively trying to carry out the mission of Jesus to reach the world, you know, in different ways, with different programming, and it looks different in different churches. But the same thing is true. You find a local church that's not pursuing this mission. Well, it's probably not a church. Might just be a nice, you know, social gathering of like-minded people with similar affinities that do some good in the community. Well, okay, the Rotary Club does that. I mean, there are other people that can do that. Jesus gave the church a mission, a mission to reach the world. As we move into chapter 2, what becomes clear is that Jesus gave the church the mission to reach the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the means by which that mission is going to be accomplished. They're not going to reach the world with self-help techniques or the, the latest you know, best practices of business or um, wonderful architecture. Those things are great. I, you know, that's good. That's not the church's mission. The church is going to reach the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw that already, right? In verse 2, Jesus, uh, uh, Luke said that Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he told the disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what happens in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes and the church is born. Holy Spirit falls on believers. The church of Christ is created. Acts 2 verse 1. Devout men from every nation under heaven. So he just said in in chapter 1, you're going to take this message to the ends of the earth. So verse 5 matters. Every nation under heaven, verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, on the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. I mean, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, ah, oh, they're filled with new wine. That is drunk. Now, don't get distracted by what is an utterance or let's slow down and talk about the continuation of the spiritual gift of tongues. Or, you know, what does this have to say about a private prayer language? Like whatever theological rabbit hole you might be tempted to dive down when you read through the opening part of Acts 2. There's a time for that, but it's just not this morning. If you get tripped up on those type of things, email me, come grab me, we go to coffee. We can talk about those questions, but the big picture is what I want us to focus on this morning. And the big picture here is that the primary uh, practical barrier to the church beginning its mission to reach the world was language. It's hard to share Jesus with somebody if they have no idea what words you're using. I've preached the gospel in other countries where I had to have an interpreter. Like, they have to be able to understand things, right? So, this is the biggest barrier. And as soon as the Holy Spirit empowers them, he says, I take that barrier away. Don't worry about that one, I got it covered. And so, like, this is what the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission that Jesus had given her to reach the world. This is what happens immediately. If you are a Christian, then to use some language that we use around here quite a bit, if you're a Christian, you already believe that Jesus has done everything necessary for your salvation. You should also believe that the Holy Spirit will empower you with everything necessary for your mission. They go together. You have a part to play in the mission that Jesus gave the church to reach the world. There's two primary ways that that's true for every Christian. First, If you are already a Christian, then you have been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. Everybody. 1 Corinthians 12 is one place that the New Testament talks about this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good empowers them in everyone to each is given the manifestation like Christian brothers and sisters hear me you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts that are given to you for the express purpose of building up the church of God and participating in the mission of God every Christian has been given that now your gifts will be different than mine My gifts will be be different from yours. So we understand that. But there's no such thing as a Christian without gifts. Like, you are not going to get cut from team mission. Okay? The Holy Spirit's not going to take a look at you and go, huh, we just have no use for her. And and send you. That does not happen. Here, like, if you're the sorriest Christian in the kingdom, and by definition, someone is. Fair? Right? That's probably not any of you all. Might be. I don't know. Maybe you think it is. If you're the sorriest, least gifted, least talented, least resourced Christian in the entire kingdom of God, you still have more gifting and power in you than you can possibly fathom. Because Jesus says it this way in Luke 7, I tell you, among those born of women, how many humans are born of women? All of them, right? Among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who's least in the kingdom is greater than he. The least person empowered by the Spirit is greater than John the Baptist. More than that, Jesus says Christians who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, working together as part of a church, are going to do even greater things than Jesus did himself. John 14 14.12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. That's mission. He takes his mission and gives it to his followers. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. He says in another place, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I do, I'll send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, one pastor said, uh, the Holy Spirit in you is greater than Jesus beside you. Because Jesus was only in one place when He was doing His earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit's in us all. Jesus says, "You're going to do greater things." Well, wh- when did He go to the Father? Acts one, we just read it. What comes immediately after Acts one? Acts two. Oh, you thought it was a trick question? Acts two. The Holy Spirit falls and indwells all believers, and the church is born. Jesus gave the church a mission. To reach the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he sent to his followers after he ascended to his father. By the end of chapter 2, you get the fullness of the picture. Jesus gave the church a mission to reach the world through the power of the Holy Spirit with the gospel. This is what they're reaching the world with, is the gospel itself. So there's a lot of things that people do, a lot of good works that happen. Yes and amen to that. The church ought to be engaged in the community, ought to be helping the poor, ought to be serving the fatherless. Yes and amen. The primary thing the church takes to the world is the gospel. And they're not opposed to one another. But this is what we reach the world with. We won't read it all because we'll run out of time. But Acts 2, 14 to 41 is the first Christian sermon. First, truly Christian sermon after the Holy Spirit, and then the gospel is preached by Peter. The first act of the church after receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit is to preach the gospel. It's to share the good news with people who are close to them, literally. There's a crowd standing around, close to them but far from God. Peter turns to the crowd. If you haven't already read this in your devotional this week, go back and read um, Acts 2, 14 to 41 this afternoon you just be blessed by that. Peter turns to the crowd and he preaches Jesus from the Old Testament. He explains to them in verses 14 to 21 that what they had just witnessed, the falling of the Holy Spirit, that the pouring out of the Spirit on all believers, had been prophesied about by Joel and Isaiah and Ezekiel hundreds of years before. We looked at that when we were in that part of the story a few weeks or months back when we were in the prophets. And he says to them, what you just witnessed, God promised. And then in verses 22 to 28, he recounts the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So, Look, you know, history channel and blogs, a TikTok video, and they'll argue about the miracles, all oh, they weren't miracles. And Nobody questioned the miracles at the time. The people who hated Jesus and crucified him agreed that he did the miracles. They weren't caught up in that. They were caught up in who, they weren't like, well, "I don't really know if all those people ate that bread. I'm not really sure. you know? I don't really know if Lazarus was raised from the dead. Like, if you go to your friend's funeral and a few days later you see him in Harris Teeter, you don't doubt what happened. Fair? Like, nobody questioned the miracles. I know people thought, like, at the time, even the opponents of Peter says, you know he did these things. They didn't argue. They're like, yeah, we do. Right? Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he goes on, when you read it this afternoon or if you read it this week, he goes on and he quotes Psalm uh, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And he shows from the Old Testament that these things that they had seen and heard over the last three years of Jesus' public ministry, but particularly the last 40 days since his resurrection, these things are the fulfillment of ancient prophecies made by God to his people. Then he says in Acts 2.36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain... That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then, the natural byproduct of Christ-centered, gospel-rich preaching happens in verses 37 to 41. In one sermon, the church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like can I, can I just encourage you that there should be mornings when you, Sunday mornings when you leave King's Cross and you think, what shall I do? The, the gospel should arrest your heart and convict you and press in on you and cause you to examine yourself. And there are times when the word of God is going to encourage you and lift you up. And yes, and amen to But there should be Sundays where you leave and you think, what am I going to do with that? If you're not, I'm not doing my job. Or you're not listening. One of the two. You should be, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You and I are here this morning Because faithful men and women have preached and shared and taught and written about the gospel of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years since Peter set out. Because this is what the church does. It takes the mission of Jesus to reach the world through the power of the Holy Spirit and it shares the gospel. This is what the people of God do individually. Jesus gave the church a mission to reach the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gospel. If you're not a Christian yet, please know that God is inviting you into his mission. By his grace, through your repentance of your sin and your faith in Christ's substitutionary death on your behalf, your belief that he was raised from the dead, as Peter has preached here, God is calling you to himself to join him on his mission. He is calling you in to send you out. He is doing a work in you that he could do works through you. And if you are already a Christian, God has empowered you with the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead so that you might respond to his grace in your life by living on mission. If King's Cross is your home, every day when you come in the front doors, it's on your right and your left. We want to be a gospel community on mission for Charleston and the world. How are we going to do that? Man, together we're going to try our best to grow in the gospel. We're going to love on one another and be connected in community. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to live on mission because that's what Jesus told us to do. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate and rejoice the work we see you doing in the church. We see it in our church over just these last 6 or 8 weeks with baptisms and gatherings and fellowship and and we rejoice to see young people dedicating a weekend to go and to learn more about you and to get connected with one another and and we want to see more lives changed, more people repenting, more people being baptized. We rejoice and celebrate what you did in Acts chapter 2, that the gospel went forth in power and the Spirit did what only the Spirit could do. He drew people to you. Father, we celebrate and rejoice in these things. Would you help us to never let the mission that Jesus gave us drift too far from our minds, too far from our purposes as a church family, We might keep our eyes fixed on him who called us according to his grace. We understand part of that mission is to love one another well, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to grieve with those who grieve. But we also want to disciple one another, encourage one another. We want to share the gospel with people around us who don't know you yet. Would you help us In these things. In Christ's name. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe, and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.